Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. It is the holiday season, so make sure Leon Tailoring is on your gift list. That's right, get somebody a nice suit, jacket, shirt, tie, skirt, blouse, coat, or perhaps get them a Leon Tailored gift certificate. That way they can go pick out the actual clothes that they want. Hey, like I said, this is the season, the season to give Leon Tailoring. It's a perfect gift. Actually, you can kind of give all year round, but we're happy to have you at Christmas time or any other time of year. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, and downtown Indianapolis. Well, we're sitting down talking to Steve Inskeep, uh, host at NPR, uh, here speaking at the Luger Symposium. So, Steve, always good to chat with you. Uh, welcome back to Indianapolis. Always good to have you here, my friend. Thanks. Glad to be here. Um, so, what did you talk to students about today? Wow. Um, I was mostly talking about some of the challenges that we face in understanding each other as human beings. I was recently reporting in the Middle East on the war there, the conflict between Israel and Hamas, which is a really hard story to understand, a really hard story to understand all the different sides in it. And so I talked about the challenges that we face in that story and in the world, just in understanding each other. Uh, when we talk about understanding each other, it's interesting because you wrote a book on uh, Abraham Lincoln and his times during the Civil War. I actually bought it and read it on Amazon.com, by awesome. the way. <laughs> by the way. So that was, that was one of us. Uh, is America more politically divided at any other time since the Civil War, or do we sort of romanticize about how things were back then? You know, these you know, great men in powdered wigs and you know, long jackets and great oratory, but like uh, they were actually pretty, pretty, pretty mean to each other. Uh, they could be pretty mean to each other. Uh, if you've ever seen the musical Hamilton, you have some sense of that. And um, it was a less equal society. Obviously, uh, if we think about the early years of this country, we had slavery. We didn't have equality in a lot of different ways. Um, and the story of America can be seen as a struggle for all kinds of different people to get an equal share of the greatness of this country. And that has been divisive sometimes, and it has been difficult. But if we think about democracy... And what democracy is, it's supposed to be about disagreement. It's supposed to be about people with different views in a free society. So we're in a pretty bad time um, where there's a lot of mistrust and a lot of false information. But it's also part of the job, if we're going to be citizens, to deal with this and to support the institutions we have. Uh, it used to be before, back in the old days, uh, Everybody got their news basically from the same place, the three networks, the newspaper, maybe the local registration, and we disagreed about what the news meant. We didn't necessarily disagree about the facts. Now, news is so siloed, and you, you know, people tend to seek out viewpoints that justify the world point of view, then throw in you know, the whole thing about AI and you know, misinformation. How was one to be? How can a person be a, a smart, savvy news consumer with all these different challenges going out there? Well, part of it is to check different sources, but another thing is to evaluate the source that you have, and I think... This is a key test. Whatever media source you like, did they reach out to the other side? Do you learn about the other side? Do you hear directly from the other side? Are they fair enough to test their own ideas, their own political ideas against the opposition? And if you are consuming a news source where you do hear lots of different perspectives, that I think tends to make them more reliable, even if they have some particular political orientation or political bias or, or whatever. If they're hearing from everybody, the product is better. Well, I think so few people trust the news media these days. What has the news media done wrong? Well, 
part of it is the fault of uh, a lot of the mainstream media. I mean, there can be a particular kind of elite perspective that gets conveyed in the so-called mainstream media. Um, and sometimes there are journalists who don't question their own assumptions. But there's also been a political movement to discredit the media. Um, I think, I mean, not to single them out necessarily, but Fox News, their whole business model is to say, don't trust anybody else only trust what we tell you and what we tell you to do and keep watching us so that we can sell ads uh, and that we can make money. Um, and that is one example. We could give others across the political spectrum who are not exactly the same but have their own, own things going. And when you have somebody whose business model is don't listen to anybody else based on who they are, don't listen to anybody else's facts, only listen to our so-called facts, uh, that's a moment when maybe you should think, I may still like these guys, I may still relate to these guys, but I should also listen to different points of view. We're taking from us, Dr. Steve Inskeep, uh, NPR uh, morning show host. Uh, just uh, He's in Indianapolis today talking about uh, talking to students uh, in the Richard Luger virtual series. Uh, Steve, uh, when it comes to uh, what you folks do at NPR, first of all, what time do you get up in the morning? <laughs> As someone who used to do morning radio, I always kind of wonder what time other people get up. You bet. I get up uh, when I'm doing the show, which is not every single day now because we have a rotation of hosts. I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm at work at 4, and the show begins precisely at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so how do you folks do your news selection? I'm, I'm assuming people are working sort of around the clock. It's not like you come in at four, you know, put put the time card in like the Flintstones and then take it from there. No, it's a 24-hour process and we have a 24-hour staff. We have people on staff all the time. And sometimes my job ends up being like working virtually 24 hours. Like I would like to just work in the mornings and be away in the afternoons or with my family in the afternoons. But there are days when some important person will agree to do the interview at 5 p.m. And I just have a very long day. Um, but Beyond that, I think you have to view news gathering as a process, which is another thing I think that will help you identify like a fair media organization. Do they just cover the story once when it's in their interest or do they cover it in an ongoing way and pay attention in a long period of time? Part of what helps us figure out what to put on the air today is whatever we put on yesterday or last week or last year. Like uh, what have we learned from those previous stories and where does that take the news now? Or who have we heard from already, but we haven't heard from the other side yet? Let's try to get them on tomorrow. Um, and it's a constant process where you question what you've put out there and what may still be left to say. I want to ask you uh, real quick, because I get ready to wrap here about Donald Trump. And sort of the, it's funny because Donald Trump and the, and the news media sort of have this, this is sort of weird symbiotic. We, we hate you, but we love you. I, I I love you, but I cannot live without you. Yeah. Sort of sort of sort of type relationship. What's going on there? Because it seems that. The news media needs Trump, and Trump needs the news media, even though they technically don't necessarily get along. Yeah. Um, I mean, on some level, there probably have been times that they have gotten along, right? Like Trump is playing his game with the media, um, and the media knew that they could get ratings from from covering Trump in various ways. And and let's think about that for a minute. There are people who've made a lot of money being pro-Trump. There are people who've made a lot of money being anti-Trump. Um, and uh, I suppose that's inevitable. I mean, it suggests that people are interested in the process and they're engaged by the stories, but it presents a particular challenge for those of us who just want to cover the world. 
and try to be fair to all sides, whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump or anything else at all. Um, and that doesn't mean that everybody just gets to lie or whatever because they're a particular side. I want to cover everybody fairly and I want to cover everybody accurately and call out falsehoods when there's a falsehood and also give people a chance to speak so that voters can make up their, their, their own minds. And I think it's important to keep a long-term perspective on anything that Trump or any other candidate has to say. What did they just say? How outrageous is it? I mean, that's a news story, perhaps, but maybe I should take a longer-term view. Did their remark really make sense? Did their remark, is their remark anything I even need to cover that helps, uh, that helps our audience understand the world um, a little bit better? You know, is there anything in there for our listeners? And also just like, what's the longer-term perspective and history of what the person actually said? Uh, we look at uh, sort of our presidential contest right now. Uh, obviously, Trump is the, the 800-pound gorilla in the room with, you know, 56 percent of the voting for the poll data. Even though I tell people polls are not predictions, they're snapshots in time, and election is like 11 months away. So believe nothing that you necessarily or take with a healthy dose of, of skepticism. Uh, is the Republican nomination pretty much over and done with, or can that still change? Um, one of the things I've learned as a journalist is not to report on the future because I don't have any good sources there. So I'm not going to say the Republican nomination is over and done with. I acknowledge the huge advantage that Trump has and that the first votes are just weeks away. But let's let the people decide. Um, and I think that's a good thing for journalists to do. Let's report on what the polls say. But let's not say the nomination is sewn up because who knows? Who knows? I mean, Nikki Haley is out there and is rising. Uh, Ron DeSantis has struggled quite a lot more than a lot of people expected, but he's out there. There are a couple of other candidates on the stage, uh, and many things can happen even in a month. I mean, think about the month of October. Just to give an example, like this war broke out. I mean, things happen around the world, and it changes our perspective on things. So let's see what the world looks like in January, February, March, and beyond. Uh, I think the abortion issue is going to play in 2024 because obviously Democrats have had a lot of uh, successes recently, whether it was Kentucky with uh, Andy Beshurier, uh, what happened in Ohio with uh, their uh, referendum on uh, the abortion issue. I think it's going to play. Um, it's clearly a big issue. Uh, again, I avoid predicting the future because things could happen that make something else be the preeminent issue. But it's clear looking at political leaders in both parties, they believe that this is likely to be a very important issue. Democrats understand that they did very well in the 2022 elections, partly by emphasizing uh, abortion rights and the threat to abortion rights as they saw it. Um, and there have been numerous victories for abortion rights supporters in otherwise conservative states like Ohio recently. And so that is part of the picture. Republicans also understand that this is an important issue they need to wrestle with. And you can even listen to some of the remarks of former President Trump, who's been saying, this is a dangerous issue. We have to talk about this issue the proper way and not the improper way. Um, and that's one point of view. And another point of view is former Vice President Pence, who has insisted that this is a moral issue where Republicans need to speak with moral clarity. So I think Republicans see this as a dangerous issue politically, I mean, in terms of losing elections, that they need to wrestle with and figure out the best way to approach. And in the sense of understanding it to be an important issue, the parties are in agreement on that. 
obviously you don't predict the future, but you can talk about the present. So what's NPR going to be looking at between now and the first Iowa caucus in New Hampshire primaries? You know what? I think that we are still um, struggling in the moment, to be perfectly frank, to figure out the very best, the very most distinctive and the fairest way to cover this election. We've had a debate within the company, uh, and it's not an ideological debate about what's right or wrong, but just a practical debate. Like, where is the story? How will we best understand it? But a thing that I feel sure that I will do, because I've done it in every election for years and years and years, is that I will make a part of my coverage getting out and just like knocking on people's doors and talking with so-called ordinary voters to hear what's on their minds and to learn a little bit of their lives and their stories and their neighborhoods, because that grounds everything else that I cover. Zivinsky, uh, morning show host at NPR. Sir, thank you very much for being with us. Always appreciate it. By the way, my wife loves you, and so do my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello to your wife and your dogs as well. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.